1: Well, like I said, Andrew Faulkner is going to be preaching to us in a moment. You'll see he's going to be preaching from Paul's letter to the Galatians. So please take a Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 3. Andrew's going to be preaching on just a few verses, verses 26 to 29, but I'm going to read from verse 19. So Andrew's passage is page 974 in the Black Bibles. page 974. Large large print, 1156, and I'm going to read from verse 19. Paul, Paul asks the question, why then the law? The law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian.
0: Super well, it is great to be with you here this evening and this morning, too. I'd love you to turn back in the Bibles to that reading that David gave us a little while ago, page 974, Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to just look at the last four verses, 26 to 29. Um, I want to thank David and his family for their hospitality this weekend. So this time, I just messaged David and said, I'm on sabbatical, can I come and stay with you? And he said yes, which is really good, and I've really appreciated that. So Angela and Archie and Ella... And Sam and Lily, thank you very much for looking after us over these last three days. It's been most appreciated, and I really appreciate it too. There's the warmth of the welcome in the church here. Lots of people talking to me this morning, and lovely just to be able to, to meet some of the people who make up Trinity Church here. It just seems like this is a really healthy church. It seems like there is a lot of love for other people here. I know lots of people have, have talked about how much they appreciate your ministry, David. I said to a couple of people this morning, I was uh, talking to my assistant minister in Stone Street about four weeks ago. And I said to him, who would you listen to if you could just listen to anybody? Who would you just turn to? And I hoped that I would get into the picture at some point. But without any hesitation, he said, David Gibson. I would listen to David Gibson. He's just, and, and look, you, you should be really appreciative of the ministry that you have here with Will two and Sinclair here and other people who are part of that as well. Lots of love for each other, lots of gospel together. It's lovely to be part of a healthy church together, isn't it? Galatians chapter 3. I'm sure that the question that we hear so often in Northern Ireland is a question that you get asked all the time too. It's a simple question, yet it's a really profound question. It's a question, who are you? I'm sure lots of people ask you that all the time, and they might just be trying to find out what you do, but they might be asking deeper questions about who you really are, what makes you tick. So what are the things that begin to come into your head if I ask you, who are you? Do you think relationally? Are you thinking about being a father or a sister or a daughter? Or are you thinking about the kinds of things you do vocationally? Are you thinking about the job that you do? These are the things that I can do, the abilities that I have. The answer that you give to that question will help to answer the next question, too. Who are your people? You see, the things that you are, who who you see yourself to be, will identify yourself with some people and not with some other people. How you are, who you are, changes how other people see you. About five years ago, uh, in the Belfast Christmas market, And the Belfast Christmas Market doesn't always appeal to me. There's like earring shops and candles and those kind of things. But there's always a shop there that does specialty meats. And I head straight for that. They do like kangaroo burgers and wild boar burgers and those kind of things. And I was in a queue for one of those. And a guy came up to me, middle of winter, and he gave me a big whole body hug. Two arms around me, whole body up against mine. And then he started talking to me. He said, you know what, I think this is going to be a good year. I feel good about this year. I'm confident that this might be our year. I think we're really tight at the back, and going forward, we look like we're gonna score lots of goals, and then I realized I had my Sunderland woolly hat on. And like most people in the Belfast Christmas market, he was a Sunderland supporter. And what he thought that I needed more than anything else was a full body hug from a complete stranger. And he wasn't wrong. (laughs) Because who you are makes people your people, don't they? And alienates some other people. I go to the gym usually twice a week. I know you could probably imagine that that's true. Um, and there's a guy there. There's a guy in the gym. Comes at lunchtime the same time that I go and he wears Newcastle United kit. And I don't trust him. <laughs> when he's in the changing room, I won't leave anything hanging about. I'll put it all tucked away and go to the shower. i bring everything with me. When he's in the gym with me, I want to keep my eyes on him all the time because I don't know what he's going to do. He's not one of my people. Who you are determines who your people are doesn't it the gospel has huge implications Paul wants to tell us here that the gospel does not just change your eternal future wonderful though that is it doesn't just bring you to heaven when you die it doesn't just relieve you of your guilt it doesn't just wipe away your sin wonderful though those things are the gospel Paul wants to show us here makes us something new it makes us into new people And because it makes us new, it changes our relationship both with God and with other people. I think this is the identity that you've been longing for, perhaps without realizing that this is what you've been looking for. I want to see four things from these four verses. First, who we can be. What is the identity that God wants for us? Secondly, how we get it. Thirdly, who our people then become. Who do we belong to? And fourthly, then, what do we still have to look forward to? Here's the first thing. Who can we be? I wonder who you would love to be known as. At the start, I asked you what was going in your head, how you would answer that question, what you would say as who you are now. But what would you like to be able to say about yourself? Or what would you like other people to say about you when they were describing who you were? Sometimes, as Christians, we think that the gospel will make our other identities better. So if we think about ourselves as a worker, an employee somewhere, then, then people can sometimes say, well, because I follow Jesus, I'm a better employee. I work better because of my Christian faith. Or, or it changes my relationship stuff too. I become a better parent because I'm a Christian. It changes the way that I'm a, a husband or a wife. And that's true, but it's insufficient to the identity that God wants to show you here. Look at verse 26. Here is the identity that you can be. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Did you hear that? Paul says your identity can be a son of God. That's astonishing, isn't it? Would you be bold enough to claim that for yourself? If Paul hadn't written it down here, I'm not sure that I would be able to say convincingly, I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God in the way that that this, this text talks about. I'm not sure I could claim that for myself. Would you be bold enough to claim that for you? Those words are the same kind of words that Jesus used when describing himself in relationship to God. Do you see what the prize of the gospel is in our identity? The prize is to relate to God the same way that Jesus related to God. Isn't that wonderful? An intimate, close relationship with God is the identity that the gospel seeks to give to you. But there's more than that. It's a, it's a technical term too. It was, it was used in adoption and inheritance law. It, it meant the person who was going to inherit all that the, the, the senior person had. The son of God is someone who stands in line to gain all that God has. The gospel says that can be you. You can see God not primarily as your judge, determining whether you're doing things right or wrong, but primarily, fundamentally, first, you can know God as a father. Do you see him like that? I have one son... I have lots of friends. Well, you don't know whether I've got lots of friends or not, but I'm going to tell you that I've got lots of friends. And I I, I do try to do nice things for my friends. So sometimes one of my friends is going away on on an airplane, and they'll say, I'll I'll take them. I'll take you to the airport. I'll I'll drop you off. Don't leave your car there. I'll take you there. Even though it cost David five pounds to pick me up from Aberdeen Airport, how much does it cost just to, to go around the front of the airport and take you up and drive away again? Even when it costs that amount of money, I'll do that for a friend. Or maybe they'll have their wife in hospital and I'll bring some food around or someone else will make some food and I'll bring it around for them. And usually when I do one of those things, when I'm really nice to one of my friends, they'll say, that's really nice. Are you sure you want to do that? Are you, are you sure that's okay? Are you sure that you're happy to, to give up your night to go and take me to the airport? Is that all right? That would be wonderful if you could do it. But are you sure? My son, not so much. He's ready to accept anything that I give him because it's a different relationship. And the gospel says you can be a son. And you can think of God as your father in that kind of sense, that the perfect heavenly father here wants you to identify primarily yourself to yourself and yourself to the world around you as his child as belonging to him. And here is is a God, if you can even imagine this, who is like a proud parent wanting to show you off as his child to the world. Can you imagine that? He wants the world to know that you're his. The world around you will want you to prioritize all sorts of other identities. It's possible that as a Christian you have your Christian identity as one amongst many. You are a worker and you're an athlete and you're a gardener. And you're a Christian too, and and they all fit together in your life. But here, Paul is saying there is one for the Christian controlling identity above all of the things that shapes and molds everything else that we are. And it is this, that we can be in the gospel a son of God. Astonishing thing. So how do you get it? I imagine some of you, if you've been listening now, are thinking, I just am so inadequate of this. I could never be called the son of God. I, if, you, if you knew the kind of things that I've been thinking about, even this afternoon, or the kind of things that I've done in the past week, or the kind of person that I've been, if you knew what I was like, you would know that I could never be a, a son of God. I'm so inadequate for this. And I imagine some others sitting here are thinking, yeah, okay, I'm ready with my CV. I can show a big list of all the things that I've done, all the the qualities I have, all the achievements that I've made. And when I present that to God, I'm sure that he would be very happy to accept me as one of his children. And whether you feel inadequate or whether you feel proud, neither of them are the way to get this, this position of sonship. Look at verse 26 again. It explains how we get this prize identity. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. You can only become a son of God. You can only own this identity only through faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting in the promises of God. That's all. Trusting that what God has said, he has done. You see, primarily, and I know you've heard this lots of times before on Sundays over the last number of years, but primarily, first of all, the gospel is never a call for us to do something. Not first. The gospel is always news of what God has done for us. Look at verse 27. There's an illustration here that might help us. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He says, you want to know what this is like? You know what? know what trusting in God is like? Think about baptism. Baptism symbolizes transformation. It symbolizes someone being made new, someone being born again into the family of God because of the promises of God. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, we were buried therefore with him, with Christ, by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life you are buried with christ you symbolize that in baptism and then just as christ was raised from the dead so you have being raised to a new life and a new identity belonging to god as his son you know one of the things no matter what your, your doctrinal position about a baptism is is that nobody baptizes themselves do they doesn't matter what tradition you're part of. Nobody says, I'm going to get baptized today and you just get a cup of water and throw it over yourself and say, there you are, I'm baptized. Nobody thinks of doing that. Someone else always baptizes you. that's really important because this this is something that someone else does for you, to you. It's Christ's work on your behalf. Paul is saying here, Jesus is the one who died and in baptism you identify yourself with him. And in Christ's death, as you identify yourself with him, your old life dies too. And then just as Jesus is raised, we are raised in this newness of life to the position and the identity of a son of God. No matter who you are going into baptism, you are raised a son of God after baptism. The work of Christ for us the true Son of God, the eternal Son of God, suffered exclusion so that we could be brought in. The other illustration he has here is being in Christ, isn't it? Right at, the verse of, right at the start of verse 26. When you are in Christ, you are a Son of God. When you put on Christ, when you've clothed yourself with Christ, because Christ covers all that was before, changes all that you were before, overwhelms all that you were before. And so in the gospel, our lives become intertwined with the true Son. What you are here in the gospel changes everything else in the rest of life. Because for the Christian, Christ is not just with us through life, not just alongside us in life. He's not even just for us in life. He is in us through our life, and we are in Him. Christ's life becomes our life. And that means that you can change. There is hope for you. Because it's not about you. It's about being in Christ. It's about being loved by God because of Christ. It's about being made a permanent member of the family of God so that your disgrace is permanently forgiven. Do you see how you gain sonship? Do you see how you get this? you get it by being in the son it's all about him so once you come to Christ and you're transformed into this new being this son of God what does it mean for our relationship with other people I do believe that we have a deep longing for meaningful relationships real connection with other people don't we I I was off work last week before I started my sabbatical. I had a week's holiday and I went to see two Sunderland games. You can see the constant thread of illustrations in my sermons revolve around Sunderland Football Club. I haven't been to a match all season, but I was off for a week and I managed to get to two games. And it just reminded me how passionate the Sunderland supporters were and how much they were in it together. They were all singing the same songs. Their fate was intertwined with the same game going on. You were part of something bigger than yourself. And it was wonderful because we won both games. But here's the truth. Once the match finishes and the crowd starts to disperse, nobody really cares about each other. There's a longing for community. There's a longing for connection. But we can't find it in other places. Look at what Paul says the gospel does for our relationships with others. When you are a son of God, what does it do for us? Look at Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul describes what gospel identity means for the church. He says your race and your rank in society and your sex or your gender All the things that separate you out now, all the things that separate you one person from another, put you in a group here and not in a group over there, all those things, when you are in Christ, lose their ability to separate you out. Do you see how the gospel unites people? At the cross, we're all equal. Nobody, no matter who you are, deserves sonship. And yet at the cross, all of us can receive sonship and so because of that because we come equally to the cross all of us belong here in the church when we're in Christ so you can't when you're sitting in Trinity Church feel inferior to someone else you know when you look around and you see people who are more talented than you or nicer than you or more gifted than you no, no you're, when you're in Christ with them you are a son of God and therefore a brother of all those other people. Remember what David said this morning as he talked to the children, talking about the funeral from last week? When you belong to Jesus, you are never alone. That's what verse 28 is saying, isn't it? And it doesn't say here, Paul doesn't say, this is the ideal, this is what the church should be like. Christians should should be like this, with no barriers between relationships. You should all just be one together. Now try and be like that. Try and live like that. No, he doesn't say that. He just says, this is what the church is like. This is what the gospel has done. It has broken down those barriers. The work of the gospel has done it already. What we have the responsibility of doing is living out the implications of the gospel, not doing something ourselves. Here's how John puts it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love, he says. God loves you. It's not that you came to God. You didn't win God's affection by coming to him with some extravagant appeal. No, God loved you, and he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for your sin. And so he says, because God loves you like this, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He just says that's the implication. He doesn't say because Jesus loves you like this, then you try to love other people like that. No, he says if you've experienced love like this, then you will naturally be able to love like that too. It will cause you to be loving in that kind of way. It'll cause you to break down the barriers that existed between other people who are now in Christ and are brothers of yours. Here's what Don Carson says. This is a a quote that we have in our membership uh, classes. In one of the weeks of our membership class, we discussed this quote together about the church. Listen to what Don Carson says. The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's the church. Loving each other when we were enemies with each other because of Christ's love for us. It's just the implication. When you're in Christ, when you've been loved like that, then Christ's love makes us love each other. He doesn't say like each other, does he? He doesn't say you have to like each other. Be honest. Aren't there some people that you don't really like in church you don't have to point to them, it's okay. You know, when you're at coffee and you see someone coming and you think, I hope they get stopped before they come to me. Maybe I could start a conversation with someone else. I don't really like this person. Do you know, I think some of that is natural. We are going to like some people more than others. I think some people feel cheated when they think, I don't like everyone in church, so, so there's no love in church here. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say you have to like everyone. It says you've got to love everybody. You've got to love them even if you don't naturally like them. It's not about your feelings. It's the result of the gospel of grace in your life. Because the true son loves you, and because the true son loves them, they're your family together. And yet we're still different. There's a unity through diversity. The slaves in chapter in verse 28 are still slaves. So the free people are still free. Some people change their jobs when they become a Christian, but but not usually. Greeks stay Greek and Jews stay Jews. You don't change your nationality when you become a Christian. Men stay men and women stay women. You don't change your gender when you become a Christian. You don't lose your distinctiveness. You're just brought together with all those individual characteristics so that you are one now together in Christ with all those differences intact. All people are included in the church together, but not are all the same. We're not made uniform. We're not robots. I think cultural diversity is part of God's plan for his church. If you have a Muslim friend, Islam seeks to create a Muslim culture wherever it goes. It's a monoculture. The same kind of dress, the same kind of language, the same way of living it is meant to be imported into wherever you live. So there's a standard across the world. But that's not the way with the church. There's no race that can claim to be God's people in a special way. All of you, when you come to Christ, bring your background into the church and enrich it because of it. Even the English. (laughs) You see, the church in God's sovereign wisdom is meant to include different nationalities. Rich people, poor people, men and women. Bringing all that's distinct about you to the family. Listen, you are uniquely gifted to love and serve in this church in a way that nobody else is. You are. This church needs you. And you need this church. When you're in Christ, this is where you truly belong. These are your people. This is where you are loved and are able to love others. If you're a son... Then you're a brother. And these are your brothers. And as you need them and they need you, you can't watch from the sidelines, sit in the seats and then go home and not know anything about each other's life. This is your family. Build relationships here because of Jesus. Allow God to draw out of you who you really are into this beautiful community. Make yourself vulnerable to other people here belong here because you are first his. But Paul says before we finish there's more to come. Look at verse 29. If you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. He says we We enjoy this now. We are sons now. And we enjoy the the presence of God in our life and the position with God and his family in this life. And we have this church around us and, and brotherly relationships surrounding us. All that is glorious. But he says, better is still to come. Because if you are in Christ, you are heirs of Abraham, receivers of the promise given to Abraham. Do you remember the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis? The promise is for God to be our God, and for us to be his people, and for us to dwell with God forever, secure with him through all eternity. See what Paul's pointing to us here is, is what we have now, what we experience now and enjoy now will be perfected then. And this is the promise of God. This is certain and secure. It's promised by God. He makes you a son of the Father. He makes you a brother and sister to each other. And he will perfect it in eternity. I didn't sleep too well last night. I got like a, a sore neck. Like a, you know you get a rick in the neck and it's, it's just sore. And I kept waking it up, dozing off and then waking it up again. And sometimes I woke up and there's like a dull ache in my neck. And sometimes it's a sharp pain. Don't diagnose me if you're a medic. It's just a sermon illustration. It happened but it's a sermon illustration. And I think that's what life is like for all of us. All all the time, there's something niggling away at us, isn't there? We we know God now. We we believe that we're a son now. But doesn't God sometimes feel distant from us? Doesn't he sometimes feel remote? We have the church, and we have brothers around us here. But don't they sometimes let us down? There's something niggling away that just makes things not quite as they should be all the way through this life, But Paul is saying there will be a time when that will not be the case. There'll be a a time when you will be with a multitude of people from every nation in perfect relationship both with God and with each other because you're in Christ now. Here's what Revelation 7 says. John gets a a vision into the the throne room of God. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, what is pictured in Trinity Church imperfectly will be completed in eternity perfectly. Perfectly. Perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, harmony in your life completely. Paradise. And this is what Jesus makes us. This is our identity. Sons of the living God, brothers and sisters with each other, united in Christ and united with each other through all eternity. Who wouldn't want that identity? Won't you praise Jesus with me for being our saviour, our redeemer, our brother, for his great love that transforms us, you and me, into what we could only have wished we could be. Let's pray just for a moment and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Father, we stand it. Again, just amazed at the enormity of the promise that you make to us in your word that people like us could be sons of yours, connected to you at the deepest level, intimately relating to you, loved eternally by you, and then brought into relationship with others. Father, we pray that you would help us to worship you for all that you've given us in the gospel. And we pray that we would continue to live out the implications of that gospel in our lives with each other so that we would glorify you by our love for each other. And we pray all of this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.